Hello and welcome to episode 174 of the Creighton Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. And special guest Alex Wiltshire. Good evening. Welcome back, Alex. It's good to be here. It is. It's good to have you here. It's good to see you. Thanks. And to hear you. <laughs> wow. So, uh, Alex, you were just saying that you understood something about this Zenimax thing that I don't. I... <laughs> I, I, I like put you on the spot there. <laughs> I like the observations that uh, Zenimax becomes the, one of the very first companies to make money out of VR. <laughs> so the, the top line on this is that the, this uh, lawsuit between Zenimax and Oculus yeah. and, uh, and Facebook, obviously, has been settled? Uh, n- no. So uh, Zenimax accused Oculus of stealing its IP in terms of uh, actual code mm. when Carmack went there. I'm, I'm really acutely aware that I could be saying libels and things here, but... Okay, just put the word accused in front of everything. We've yeah, all been yeah. journalists here. We know yeah. this <laughs> uh, And um, they were not found guilty. But um, individually, Carmack and various other figures at Car- uh, Oculus have got to pay major fines that come to lots and lots of money huh. and uh and carmack i read a Car- uh, post facebook post from carmack um where he's upset the, i think it's quite interesting the lawyer on zenimax side said that oh, i can't remember the phrase but like it's one of those kind of legal phrases which, which doesn't mean that the 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 oculus actually took the actual code hmm. It meant that it took code that it was kind of based on, <laughs> mm. and that was that was where all the contention or a lot of the contention came from. Carmack was like, "I'm a software engineer. Either you've taken the code or you haven't." Um, although he did recognise that stealing a book by changing the characters and, and changing a few of the words, but keeping all the essence there is probably stealing. But it's quite, I guess, it's quite interesting copyright law for law nerds. It is because you know, I mean. Carmack is both kind of right and wrong, and it feels like a battle of the metaphors you use to describe <laughs> whatever it is that happened. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Will this, you know, given this is the, will it, what, what effect will this have on Oculus or on VR or on, or on anything really? Facebook are backing them. It doesn't feel like it's going to be a financial impediment at all. No, that's true. What they're doing. So I imagine they'll just get on with their lives and, uh, well, Zuck, Zuck can um, can just, put the money put, that put the he bill, saved on on stealing land from native Hawaiians into um, <laughs> Oculus. <laughs> you were so worried about so libel. Allegedly, libel. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's right. I was just like, let's let's take this up a notch. God yeah, God. exactly. In for, penny, high enough. in for a penny, in for the rest of my money. So that, that was news one on today's news. That seemed like the most serious businessy news, which is why I didn't understand it's it. It's the most serious than the, the thing we knew the least about. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good that we led with it. You can tell that all <laughs> of our careers... I, <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> you can tell that all of our careers have led us further and further away <laughs> from the news beat. You really do know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck all idea what's happening. <laughs> but there was a also a, a Stellaris expansion announced today. I noted, and I think a Galsiv expansion on the same day. Yeah. Because everybody knows that February 2nd is the day of the year when you're allowed to announce an expansion for your 4X space game. But I only know details of the Stellaris one. Uh, even that's a game we talked about a little bit. Um, it's interesting to note that they're going with proper endgame stuff by the sounds of things. So vast kind of things to build in space like Dyson Spheres and Ring Worlds and a, a big 
picture of Arthur C. Clarke himself floating <laughs> yeah. through space. They didn't confirm the last one, but I'm guessing. That's what I like about it. I like that they're just going almost book by book from the yeah, exactly. hard sci-fi canon and introducing bit by bit all of the ideas that have been introduced over the last sort of 30 or 40 years. I'd actually quite like someone to make the foundation game to go like full Asimov oh, and great, have yeah. the one where, because actually this would be an amazing solution to the 4X problem, which would be you play the very beginning of the, the strategy game and then it cuts the middle game out completely and just skips you to the end and shows you like what. <laughs> and then you have to solve the end state for whatever civilization like, you've created. What was that Fable game? Was it Fable 2 or 3 that did that where it skips your head 10 years and suddenly... Fable... Two. Two. For two. For two. two. Fable, Fable the two. two. <laughs> yeah, that the equivalent of a 4X. Yeah. See, yeah. that would be pretty special because you'd you'd have to start the game thinking, oh, this is going to point it in the direction I want. Yeah, you have that. to start the game knowing that, like, turn 50, your civilization is going to seal ideas, people, technologies, and cultural concepts away in a vault. And then <laughs> that's going to emerge from a vault in 10,000 years, and then you'll take control again a million years after that. And that's the civilization you have to negotiate. Interesting. That would be good. You can get really angry about past you for yeah. the stupid things that you decided. <laughs> exactly. Um, that'd be good. But that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is, is the strict late game of Stellaris. It sounds like there's also going to be like ascendancy paths for your civilization, whether that's a sort of technological singularity or a, mm. you know, or I think a psychic kind of, um, coming of, Age, not coming of age. It's not a psychic coming of age is X Men. The end of, um, of two thousand one in space Odyssey. Basically. Yeah, like well, what? You, what form of kaleidoscope space baby do you want to be? Yeah, exactly. And it also sounds quite a lot like the three endings of of Mass Effect. The three things they posited. Three colors. Yeah. yeah, and given that Stellaris feels very heavily inspired by Mass Effect's galaxy map and its, you know, kind of take <laughs> on interstellar diplomacy and mm. even the soundtrack it feels like it's quite nice that maybe that's the your your entire civilization could very slowly become green or blue or red <laughs> um I, I mean i say that i actually like mass effect's ending but i think i might be the only i didn't hate it anyone. i mean i was so primed to hate it because the hatred for it was just so yeah ridiculous that you know but you know when the bar was so low it was fine <laughs> i was like yeah that is just kind of a dumb space ending but every every space thing i watch has a dumb space ending so yeah seen on the, the equivalent level to me exactly yeah i mean the bar was set at Battlestar. <laughs> exactly we all move up and down either side of Battlestar. <laughs> incidentally i read a, a news story on pcgamer.com um today uh about i think the writer of the expanse which is a sci-fi show i haven't actually watched but does have uh, Elias Tufexis in it, who's Adam Jensen. So there you go. Um, uh, wrote a th- uh, either an interview or a thing where he just said how much he hated the ending of Mass Effect <laughs> and that he vowed not to do that with his own show. Right. So that is that, you know, that's throwing the, the gauntlet down. Then you haven't given yourself the comfort of knowing that it's fine to have a totally bollocks ending to your sci-fi epic because no one else has done it properly. <laughs> he's, he's thrown down. And established that now he's going I, to I love that people still care so much about this. Like, how many years is it since that Mass Effect yeah. 3 came Five. out? Five. Oh, my God. <laughs> it came <laughs> the, out right the, after I joined PC Gamer. The, the, the anger that this still generates is astonishing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Considering. Uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, there's an amazing kind of Limmy sketch. And Brian Lemons is uh, a Scottish comedian. And uh, he's, done, he's got a little sketch where uh, a guy is sitting there and he reads something online. And he gets really angry and kind of you know heated up about it and it starts complaining then a tiny little man in a cap appears out of nowhere and goes 
got a reaction, didn't they? Got a reaction. And this is what I keep thinking about the Mass Effect ending. You know, however bad it was, they got a fucking reaction out of it. And, you know, that's part of the kind of psyche of gamers now, like who enjoy sci-fi games. The Mass it doesn't exist. Like it, if, if, can a game exist if people don't get angry about it? Well, well not anymore. Tree in the forest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 20, if a Mass Effect ends in a forest... Mm. And no one creates a petition. <laughs> <laughs> did, it, it, did it ever did exist? It exist? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's funny because, I mean, you know, you could. Uh, I think we all have experience of people being extremely upset about nothing in space. Um, space space causes <laughs> upset. Yeah, that's what it does. Um, <laughs> and. Um, uh, and in, incidentally, extremely upset about nothing in space is the was the working title for Mass Effect Andromeda, <laughs> I think. But um, but yeah, and it's 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 funny because even now that hangs over Andromeda, which I've started to get excited about. Maybe and we've talked about it recently, and it's out next month. Um, but they've started to get into that part of the marketing cycle where they start to show a little bit more than just kind of like you know atmospheric panning shot of a bit of concept art. And I'm properly on board now for like another adventure in that universe even though i suspect it's gonna be a lot more like dragon age inquisition and that's going to upset people it's also gonna be a mass effect game that's going to upset people on principle um <laughs> this is gathering like a katamari ball of upset. yeah oh yeah it's also going to be pretty progressive by all accounts and that's going to upset people <laughs> the um the the youtube comments for that game are now an amazing already an amazing train wreck so if it has anything less mm. than like you know an incredible like an incredible ending but not even an incredible ending anymore it has to be an ending very specifically tuned to the people who will now hate it for three incredibly virulent reasons. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. How have Bioware games become this kind of great coming together of hate? I know. <laughs> uh, why? I mean... It's I, weird, isn't it? It's strange how they, yeah. they've attracted so much negativity. It's quite a thoughtful Canadian company. I know. Yeah, I know. Just making quite gentle dramas. It, it feels like, if it, <laughs> so. uh, you know, without getting too much into it, it feels like the world has changed profoundly around what Bioware do you know like they were yeah. they're always the more progressive rpg developer but not just in terms of the characters or the storylines but in terms of um sort of cinematic presentation of the rpg like mass effect that was what mass effect did was like merge the third person action game with amazing cutscenes with the rpg where you can choose your own path and people get super invested in that and i think everyone got very invested in that because it's a great fantasy and it's a great very appealing thing but then what subsequently happens is the other sensibilities of that studio come out, which is that the games tend to be pretty progressive and they tend to, um, you know, showcase characters and situations. And, and as the industry as a whole has matured, Mass Effect has always been pretty much on the, the I'd argue Dragon Age more so, but Mass Effect has been on the pretty far edge of, of, you know, pushing for better, more diverse representation in games, mm -hmm. particularly mainstream games. I just clarify games, what have triple A yeah. financial backing and, and I think there are, there are people who are maybe on board where they, when they were first promised space adventure game where you can bang aliens and punch people who are now probably angrier than they've ever existentially been by where <laughs> that series has ended up. And yet the entire rest of the world has, has tilted themwards <laughs> in a, in a kind of spectacular way. So, you know, Mass Effect is now this sort of glorious island of like the game. <laughs> The uh, games industry, as was, it not feels doing. Like, it feels like because uh, the games industry is all on the, always on this tremendous lag. It feels like a lot of games are coming out that are kind of embrace that progressive wave. Uh, yeah. So, and that will continue for the next year or so. God, I hope it doesn't go away. <laughs> well, you know what? Like you know, um, seeing a lot of studios speak out vociferously against the travel ban, in particular. Mm. Like obviously, they a lot of them are thinking. 
you know, the bottom line because they have staff who are directly affected and that yeah. affects their, you know, their ability to make games and stuff. But um, I think, I think that the mainstream game industry uh, is one of the most progressive, I think, yeah. you know, um, you know, a gender balance in the workplace and all that kind of thing inside. Um, but I think that that isn't so much a problem with the industry itself in terms of the business, but more about the culture of games but and you know and wider but i think yeah it's progressive i think i don't i'd be really surprised if we saw games going into the nasty lands <laughs> the nasty lands <laughs> i think actually that's where the finale of dragon age inquisition takes place yeah, it's just the end. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think i think you're probably right it's just interesting that the conversation around it like you know given that apparently our industry was the test bed for at least mm. online hyper right-wing activism who'd, who'd thunk it yeah. <laughs> two years ago Us. um and those themes are still you know there are now there are now stock phrases that can be rolled out to describe things that make people uncomfortable like i think maybe that's the thing that i've noticed is that angry comment man whoever he is he you know he persists throughout time used to i think borrow phrases from outside of games to object to whatever he was seeing in for example the bioware game things would be politically correct or something like that and now there's this whole kind of set of memes it's and I- ideas like a new sort of lexicon for being reactionarily angry about the fact that a game has a woman in it right like you know amazing well i say amazing horrifying comments under mass effect like um I think this character is the SJW one and like, and therefore I cannot buy. And I guess my fear is that if that, it gets accepted, not by enough people in the, in the games community that eventually it gets picked up on by, I basically, I I think I no longer trust that we are a totally isolated, strange little bubble of culture that will never inform anything outside of it. And I fear for the day where a game developer, either a positive or a negative sense, says, and this character is our SJW one. <laughs> and I think you're right, that probably won't happen. But I'm giving up on saying that's probably not going to happen after the year <laughs> that has yeah. just passed. It's a legitimate fear. It's a legitimate fear. Speaking of legitimate fear, I'm going to segue out of this. Have we all played a little bit of Resident Evil 7? A little bit, a little bit. Because Alex, I suspect your experience of it might be quite similar to mine. Okay, should I take you through mine? Yeah. I installed it thinking, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And it was about like half ten when it finally finished. And I thought, right, I'm going to have a half an hour go before bed. Um, It was dark and quiet in the house. And I walked through the, the start area, you know, outside in the daytime. I walked around the house I got into the backyard and I went inside the room, into the in, into the, sort of the shack sort of thing in the back door. And um, the door closed behind me. Uh, the lights went out, the torch went on, and I just went, nope, <laughs> and switched it off. The next day, I sort of steeled myself and played a bit more. And I found a body in some nasty water in the bottom of the, the thing. I did play the um, the demo, so I knew kind of what to expect from that bit. Uh, but obviously the bit before it um and again i went nope i wanted to play it with my wife 
who would <laughs> mostly because she would give me the impetus to push me to play it to mm. go on yeah um because on my own i couldn't play aliens isolation in more than five minute segments so i don't really know what the what the pacing of the game is really i'd all i know it is this getting too terrified to continue i'm not i'm not good at horror games what what was your experience remarkably similar <laughs> door closed lights went off i went fuck this closed the game i played according to steam 17 minutes of resident <laughs> <laughs> over the course of four sessions <laughs> and so i loaded back up again i got in a corridor i opened a drawer i went fuck this <laughs> and then i owed it again i walked across the room i took the lid off a pot there was a creepy bug I said, fuck this again. <laughs> and I went back to it, got as far as the main menu. And then went, actually, what am I doing? And closed it. Why am I doing this? <laughs> and I think for me, it's like, it's obviously beautifully presented and stuff. And the stupid thing is, it's obviously really hit and miss with me because I did all of PT. You could do PT. Yeah, I could do I, PT I and I can't do, do this. PT. Mm. I, that really messed me up. So I don't, the reason I wanted to talk about this, because you told me you played more of it now. You, you... It's about halfway through now. Okay, so you, you've... You've, it's it, the you've hit its groove, right? You're on yeah, like yeah. horror needles settled into the... I'm in its rhythm. Yeah, you're in its rhythm. Like, Did you get into like a rhythm in something like Aliens Isolation? Alien Isolation? Yeah, I, I beat Alien Isolation. I, I can get through horror games and enjoy them a lot, um, though I can't play them for long periods. But, yeah. you know, bit by hour by hour, I get through them. I do enjoy... I like being scared. I enjoy horror films. I enjoy kind of horror concepts as much as anything. Just uh, the idea of just weird reality distorting horror which games ought to be very good at but one of my complaints about games is that they don't do enough with yeah you know the, the, their premise their ability to change reality around you um, tangiers coming up oh yeah well that i can't wait to play that yeah. uh, eventually gets released um but yeah yeah so like because i love horror as well like in particularly in other forms like and i played in isolation i could play pt but i realized that in isolation in i think some senses a little bit ruined other horror games for me particularly other horror games that aren't completely novel with how they whatever setting they're putting you in because like spooky Chains, texas chainsaw massacre house and space station what with alien in it are all are both cinematic yeah pretty standard settings for horror right you've seen both of them before um the thing that i loved about alien that i found hard to do another context is alien got me to stop guessing what the developer was going to do mm. um which like I, and to be honest that like i got bored of horror movies that weren't amazing after a while because it became an exercise in going through the same beats and the beats weren't which um, a lot of movies are like that but in other in other movies the beats are pleasant whereas i find that in a lot of like middling horror movies it's unpleasant to be surprised by a spooky thing or to see something gross but you're not seeing anything new. You're not being scared in a new way or having an experience you haven't had before. So, you know, it's just, you know, recycling the same ideas and you learn to look, look out for the cue that you're about to get the jump scare or whatever it is. Right. And so the great thing about isolation was because it's genuinely frightening, but it's like controllably frightening in a really interesting way. Cause you know that the creature has AI and sometimes it's going to fuck you up completely. And sometimes it's going to be somewhere you don't expect it to be. But most of the time, a designer didn't put it there yeah. just to fuck with you. You know, that just happened. And so I found it terrifying, but in a really engaging way where yeah. you're kind of you're in its world. And it's like a little simulator of like, what's it like to be hunted by this awful thing? Whereas um, Resi 
when I started playing it, I realized what it was like really quickly, which was like, oh, okay. I mean, maybe I know that it changes tack when you get guns and there's more, you know, yeah, more game later on. Hmm. But when you get into that initial bit, and there's no spoilers because I haven't played enough of it to spoil anything, but there's that like moment where you're like, you creep under the, the skull fence in the, in the backyard of doom. And you see like the creepy farmer man walk past and you get around the corner and where could he possibly have gone? Cause he vanished into a wall or something like that. You know, there's a sort of, and it's like, even before I'd seen him walk out of shot, I knew he wouldn't be there when yeah, I was around the corner. Yeah. I knew, I knew it would be impossible for him to be there. And I knew, you know, and I, I felt like I understood the logic of what it was setting up and where that all leads so well that all that was left was the unpleasant surprise. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Like, I'm, you know, I'm going to get used to opening drawers and locking my narrow field of view into these things. And then the third one or the fourth one or the fifth one or the seventh one yeah. is going to be the one where it, it activates the jack in the box. And I've seen that trick a million times. You're in the machine. Yeah. And like, I know, and I, I think maybe I don't, don't enjoy that type of horror enough to look forward to the shitting myself moment, you know? So, I mean, because this is totally unfair in one sense, because I haven't played enough of the game, right? Like, I kept switching it off. But that was the reason I kept switching it off and went to play some Overwatch or something instead, yeah. because hmm. I, I didn't I didn't feel nothing from the beginning of the game communicated to me that I was about to have an experience I hadn't had before. Because that was the thing, the interesting thing about PT was that, that it really did play with expectations. Like, the game was a was a constant loop that was about you trying to figure out what is going to trigger something new. Hmm. And that actually made you a part of the mechanism. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, I agree. Like at the moment, Resident Evil um, 7 is very, it feels like you're just in the machine. You're not kind of <coughs> manipulating it. Yeah. Like, I mean, PT is also a linear ride to a substantial extent. It is, but you are, you are the one that, that's working out the next step. It's funny because in a sense, the repetition of that one set of corridors yeah. encourages you to be very vigilant for details yeah. but not in a way that really lets it trap you very much exactly like it doesn't like you know the, the most horrifying things in pt and i feel like we talk about it fairly openly now like when you go around the corner and there's a, there's well, a nobody fi- can download it there's, yeah there's, there's yeah. a figure in the window and she hasn't been there before and yeah. there's a little shock of seeing that but it is not the control taken away from you surprise thing it's just there in the environment you could miss it yeah, and actually, some of the joy of PT is realizing that you missed some fucking horrible things, yeah. and the they, the the kind of I think maybe that's what I love about Alien as well is the sort of thrill that it was always there, even if you didn't notice it. Yeah, um, and then the the you know the big you know fuck you player moment in PT, which is when you get your neck broken, which is horrible, um, but you know it gives you like all of these little jumping on points for what's about to happen and realizing what's about to happen as you progress into the environment. It's only when you get to a certain point that it finally like does that thing of like having built attention for so long, like pulling the trigger on, on a scare. Um, by all accounts, you know, hopefully Resi does stuff that's that kind of well orchestrated, but I just had that feeling playing it of like, which one of these press F to use prompts is going to be the one. one. And it I feels you know, like the, the relationship with horror cinema, though. I, I mean, I don't. I think I get differently scared. I definitely think it isn't that close to my appreciation for horror cinema because my fears, my my conscious fear during a horror game is is the loss of progress, mm-hmm. <laughs> and often like, uh, and also my 
uh, fears for inability to to succeed as well. Um, whereas obviously watching a horror film, like you are totally passive in that experience. You know, you're kind of, you know, you're watching other people making mistakes and you get frustrated with them and you get, or you kind of, you know, or you kind of, oh, don't look there, you know, all that kind of thing. Whereas in a game, like I'm mostly, I'm just going, I just want to get to the next save point, which yeah. was like my hate and isolation thing was like, it was this sort of tension run as I sort of got closer to the beep and then finally got the, you know, key card in. I think that's the thing for me. The reason Alien was so kind of like revolutionary in my, in my view was that, so like most horror games won't let you do the sensible thing that you're always wishing the person in the movie would do. Um, or if they do let you do it, they force you to fail in certain yeah. ways. Like you're always going to get knocked back from the spooky door by the scary man or whatever. And nothing you do would have circumvented that. And Alien definitely has points like that. But for the most part, if you can pull it off somehow, sprinting through the level could work. Could work. There's yeah. not, there's nothing systemic yeah. about the way the game is, the rules of the game that says that that's not going to work. Yeah. And the, the rules that say it probably won't are completely fair because they're based on how much noise you're making and the fact that there are other, maybe other people in the enemy, in the level that might be alerted to you. But in some cases, sprinting is the right thing to do because, yeah. you know, there are other humans in the level and they amount to noisy food and distractions that, are a finite resource and if you can get through it quickly and get out of your habit of hiding under every table and looking for every audio log then you'll get through it and maybe it's not perfect but you did it yeah. whereas i feel like yeah i i've i don't necessarily feel the same pull anymore of exploring to find out what 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 the next trap is that the designer has laid for me but tom you played way more resident evil than i have so I'm interested yeah it's in. interesting i mean i can it gets it's better than that because when it opens out, it starts to give you uh, like a considerable amount of space to explore and actually gradually master. So the first significant kind of uh, amount of space you're given is like two floors and a basement area. And you start to actually kind of gradually discover the house, understand it, uh, master it, understand the limitations of the creature in it. And it's actually a process of kind of slowly gaining control over it. Hmm. And then as soon as you've done that, obviously there are scares through that process it moves you to a new area and then you master that second area and um they're all just kind of they all have their own separate kind of horror things they're doing so the one i'm in at the moment is all about insects which i find really hard to get through because i hate giant insects in games <laughs> and that kind of thing but it's very much kind of insect themed uh swamp louisiana swamp kind of bit um and the way it kind of uh it's not just about going through those tight uh, kind of openings anymore and then wait for the scare it's about understanding the threats in that area and then learning to cope with them and overcome them by by discovering items by discovering enemy behavior and then as soon as you're comfortable with it it moves you on again so the, that's the pacing of resident evil 7 actually like huh. you actually get into it that sounds more like dark souls uh yeah kind of it doesn't feel like it's at all but no. i understand that it's that kind of mastering area by area yeah definitely that there's some similarity to that um and because the areas are so well presented and feel so disgusting and different uh, when you move between those areas, like it, it's even though you're moving between familiar genres, you're so in that place because of the presentation and the just astonishing lighting and texture work in that game uh, that it, I'd, I'm completely fixated on it. I'm definitely going to finish it. Yeah, I, that that makes it a lot more appealing. I so wish it opened like that in a way. I know that. Yeah, I think it has to kind of. It's got, I mean, I appreciate it. It's kind of got it. It's getting its. It's establishing shots, isn't it? Yeah, it's also teaching you stuff about the family and what their various kind of 
how they're how they I haven't even met a member of them yet. And uh, okay, yeah. It, it, basically, they become like individual characters, and they have their different ways of hunting, and their different kind of types of trap that they set. Um, so there's a different. There is a greater level of depth to the villains mm. of it that you don't necessarily realise when you're in the the default Texas Chainsaw Massacre bit. So you, like very early on, you're sat at the table with them, and it's just taken straight from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like just directly lifted. Like the same t- archetypes are there, but with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you see them in brief moments of just horrible like massacre. Uh, but in this game, you have to actually deal with them and how they think and how they kind of want to kill you, <laughs> which is a new type of horror. And that is they've, they've mm. added an extra extra layer to that very staid and understandable yeah. Texas Chainsaw thing. So in that sense, actually, as a game, it has brought an extra dimension to very familiar tropes, horror tropes, I think. Mm. Uh, and given that it is, it's very well paced as well, I think. And there's some very interesting, it, it expects you to fail and have to repeat things a lot. And it has just some batch of behaviors that you'll suddenly see just on your third playthrough that will completely throw you. So to take one example, like you're trapped with a, a bad guy in a garage and you can get in the car and use it to attack him. Um, but on one random playthrough I did, he just got in the car and started driving it around. Like it wasn't, I didn't even know he could do that, but <laughs> it's like there's some sort of dice roll happens where his behavior will change. And it's, it's, it's like that PT moment where it pulls the trigger and you don't have a choice. Your neck gets broken. But the way it does it kind of subverts what you think they can do to such mm-hmm. an extent that it keeps it really kind of tense and interesting. And uh, it's interesting because it, the Alien Isolation comparison is interesting. Cause I love Alien Isolation as a piece of design, as a piece of kind of simulated uh, dynamic kind Emergent of... horror. Exactly, yeah. Just a sandbox that uh, tries to kill you. Whereas this is uh, more targeted because they can talk to you and they can occupy... They can have a voice, the enemies, and they can occupy these tropes and kind of use them to taunt you basically in a way that the alien can't mm. uh, and it, the, the interesting thing about the alien is that it is this unknowable just primal force but it's quite tame now because the alien franchise has been so kind of stretched out so you see and you i know exactly all the things that that alien can do and look yeah precisely there. the alien's not going to get in a car and try and run you over in the garage um whereas <laughs> it'd be the, hilarious if that <laughs> it would be amazing <laughs> but uh, if an alien did kill uh jeremy clarkson maybe it could because of that morph. Well, let's hope they do. <laughs> Is that the new series of uh, Top Gear? Not oh, Top Gear. Oh no, of course Top not. Gear. <laughs> Top Gear. What is called? Uh, the Grand Tour. The Grand Tour. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, it, I, I think if you haven't enjoyed what you've seen so far, you're not going to enjoy the game, to be honest, because those those scares and those kind of turning off points are, are recurrent. Like, but, you're going to be exposed. Damn it, I thought it was all going to change. <laughs> See, yeah. like, yeah, maybe, maybe I just need to, like, be in the right mood for it. I think, I think like, Alex, I would benefit from playing it with somebody. Hmm. Would like, Pip play with you? Pardon? Would Pip, Pip play with you? No. No. Pip does not like scary games. Mm. Um, no. The thing is... <laughs> You and I fundamentally don't either, but we're stupid. Yes, that's true. Like, yeah, we persevere for no reason. Um, I think, yeah, like it's you know, because um, it's not so much. It's not so much the scares. It's almost like almost like you're not getting the full experience if you're not sharing certain things yeah. with. See, my, one, of, one of my favorite uh, uh, companionable game play experiences recently was. Um, uh, um, the PlayStation 4 game, um, uh, Into Dawn. No, Until Dawn. Until yeah, Dawn. I, I, me and Marsh played that together. Yeah, yeah me and I found, you know, and it's a, without playing with someone else, it's a, it's a kind of slightly 
dodgy I think game. It, I think it's a terrible game. But <laughs> together, like, it's it so just transcends yeah. all the things that are on the disc. Yeah, so like, fun. I mean, also, yeah, it, it because, you know, it, 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 there, there are things in that game that are total bollocks. I think, like, any, any sort of designed horror game is going to have to confront you with things that are either, you know, subversive and exciting or bollocks. And there's a, there's a really fine line in game design between that subverted my expectations and I'm excited mm. and that subverted my expectations no, and this is the worst game I've ever played. <laughs> and I think, you know, I know Until Dawn has its fans. I think I've spoken on the podcast before. Like, I think it's awful, but I think it's, it's, it's awful because it's, it's arbitrary about how it assigns oh, yeah. consequences. But also, but, but I think that it's also designed to be played with people. Yeah. Like it wants, mm. it, it wants the people in the room to be going, Oh, I hate that person and or oh look at that what happened and oh that shouldn't oh my god you know, yeah, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't its mind is not on coherence its mind is on what can we do to to yeah people and so those moments where you're just sort of arbitrarily decapitated yeah. and you lose a character for basically no reason yeah. or whatever like that's you know it's not fine but it's like when you're playing with somebody you're like I loved, hey! it. I loved like, it on my own that would be the worst yeah yeah, yeah. um and so but I think even even if a game does that subversive stuff well, it still benefits from the kind of the pass the pad kind of yeah. school of of play. It's possibly why these games do so well on YouTube as well. That they're natural yeah. kind of mm. social. Oh yeah, five experience five of Freddy's. It's like yeah, it's a yeah. really social game. Yeah, whereas whereas actually, I think Alien Isolation is a really terrible social game because it requires a lot on your. It leans a lot on your intuitive, internal, non-vocalized. Yes sense of where the alien is and what it's thinking and that's really hard to communicate to yeah. people i think i'm going to walk from this room to the next one oh walk to the next room <laughs> yeah yeah there's no like because there are none of those like don't open the drawer don't open the drawer there's a hand or something yeah. Yeah. you know like you can't it's the stereo sound is so important to that game as well you can't say i'm hearing from the left and up so i think i might go right it, like it doesn't work and people don't watch youtube with stereo headphones on necessarily. yeah yeah so, so it is funny like you know the, the space within that genre that's almost it's quite a profound difference despite there being so many surface similarities between those, yeah, yeah. those two games. So, you know, interesting. But yeah, maybe, maybe I should persevere with it. I think I don't want to just watch a YouTube video. I, I do want to have had that experience. I'll but. come around, I'll come around tomorrow night. Okay. We'll, we'll hold each other all the way <laughs> yeah, through. Yeah, exactly. Hold hands. Get on the PlayStation, have a sleepover, it'll be fine. <laughs> How, it, it's not like mega long, is it? It's No, it's not very long. And uh, it's it, it also becomes hilariously like resident evilly in the way it kind of gates you from areas with big stupid brass locks that are carvings yeah. of, of like centurions with a shield missing and you have to find the metal shield it's like it's a fucking you know hovel in louisiana <laughs> why, why is this stuff here but it's, it's it's very funny it's very good yeah all right fine I'll, I'll get past 17 minutes i feel a bit bad for having kind of like Slagged it off having barely played it. But, yeah. <laughs> no, it's totally valid criticism. This is why I didn't like Outlast, which is mm. very much like Resident Evil. Oh, that's Outlast, interesting so. because I really didn't like Outlast. I mean, I can't yeah. respect it, but I really didn't enjoy it. So any the first, the first hour of Resident Seven is Outlast, and then it actually becomes a, a Resident Evil game after that. Is what I would say. Oh, interesting. Because mm. I have played all the other Resis. Well, mostly. I haven't. I haven't played. In play six. I didn't play six either. It's. It's. I only talked about this last week. It's still weird they put a number on this. Yeah, mm, like it is, you know, yeah. you know, as a culture, we've we've gotten, we're okay with the idea of reboots, even using the same name as the original game reboots, where you just call it Resident Evil or whatever. Well, the first three make sense, like you know, because they're so similar. Yeah, they are. I mean, even up, to, even to four, I would say. I mean, the same characters. I think the trouble yeah. is they they've been gradually 
remastering the original games quite recently. So yeah, they've done zero and HD yeah, and yeah. and then Resident Evil a couple of years yeah. ago. So it would be might be a bit too close. To they could have given it a nonsense name like Code Veronica. <laughs> do you remember Code? <laughs> I do. That was a good one. That was a good one. That was the first Resident Evil game I played with. Dreamcast. Yeah, because I was a Dreamcast kid. Nice. Um, which is why I don't know anything about anything because there were no <laughs> games. <laughs> um. So yeah, so that's Resi. Um, what else have you been playing, Tom? Uh. Kind of, I'm going to link this back to the news a little bit. Okay. Because uh, the Final Fantasy creators have been talking a bit about putting Final Fantasy 15 onto PC. Hmm. Not in any way that's just as good. Hang on, can you remind me which one that is? Is that the MMO or is that... No, the... no, 15 is the one that was released. The new one? Yeah, the proper big Final Fantasy. The release. Lads on Tour one. Lads yeah. on Tour in a, in a car. Everyone's bants. wearing black suits. <laughs> Top bants. Uh, just killing random wildlife. And uh, yeah, so the, it's been... They keep on talking about it. And they've put all of the other Final Fantasy games onto PC bit by bit. So they've, you know, they've, they're clearly, there's a, a project there to bring Final Fantasy to PC properly. Mm. Uh, and they're, like, there's a new story this week about them even adding mod support and stuff like that. So they're obviously serious thinking about it. Good lord, mod support in a Final Fantasy game. Yeah, a 200 foot tall naked chocobo. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Boss fight. Aren't chocobos already naked? They're feathered. They wear like armor and stuff as well. Feathers aren't clothes. Oh, true. <laughs> Does that mean dogs are naked? Yes. Well, unless they're wearing a collar, <laughs> in which case they're naked except for a collar. <laughs> Alex, uh, you can see their bits. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, you can. <laughs> All these images flash through my mind. Every dog you've ever seen has been naked except that one adorable one in the Santa outfit. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was something more wholesome about it. <laughs> We've gotten off piste somewhat. Tommy was saying. Yeah, Final Fantasy XV, which I, has been my big Christmas game. It's the game I've kind of languished with and just enjoyed and kind of dipped into and just to be in the mood of it, even though it's a fucking stupid game in so many ways. <laughs> uh, it's um, the idea of kind of uh, a bunch of friends getting into a car and kind of going on tour and so much money going into the production of that stupid fantasy is is brilliant. <laughs> I'm completely 100% behind it. Um, and I, I've beat the game, and the story is has been completely massacred by some invisible, horrible development trauma uh, that will come out over the next few years, I'm sure, as people do kind of post-mortems of the game. Uh, but having beaten the game... Uh, you can use a dog to time travel back into the open world section. A dog? Yeah. So, <laughs> well, is yeah, the dog clothed? The d- dog was not clothed. Okay. The dog was fully Jesus. naked. Uh, so not safe for work uh, if you're going to you know, be playing it in front of your friends. Um, and yeah, so <laughs> it's so hacked. It's such a hack <laughs> at the end of the game. It's like, oh, we'll put you back to your last save point. And then contact a dog and the dog will t- transport you back in time to the place where you could just explore the open it's world. It's the dog it establishes a plot device vaguely. <laughs> the, the dog the dog is a, is a courier uh, that um, uh, that trans- transports messages between you and uh, a queen that you're supposed to well a princess you're supposed to marry. <laughs> <laughs> the dog is the in between. This game, <laughs> Look, this I, game. I, I said it. I said Boys it. Boys on tour, uh, dogs, couriers, but princesses. Oh my god! Millions, like tens of millions of dollars have gone into hundreds, this. hundreds. Surely, I mean, it's, it's it's astonishingly lavish in the way it, all the presentation is just beautiful. I like the food. I like the, the food. food photos. Astonishing. I love yeah. That, yeah. Um. So your one of your pals. Uh. He's a he's a chef. The only person in the world who could cook things for you, and um. <laughs> He learns recipes everywhere. Like he'll walk past someone in the street, and you know, and a little cutscene will happen where he snaps his fingers and goes, "Huh, 
my goodness. And then someone else will go, what is it, Ignis? And he'll go, I've discovered a new recipe. <laughs> he's just looked at this poor woman's food and gone, what if I combine beans with toast? I can make something completely mind-blowing. Uh, and Guy Fieri. <laughs> Sometimes um, you're just sort of complete, completely brutalised, like a herd of just placid cattle. And afterwards, you know, having gained your experience and, and maybe a high potion, he'll go, I've got an idea for a new recipe. I was like, what, is it mashed cattle, mate? Like, like, <laughs> that's how he gets his, and then it'll add that, <laughs> it'll add that meal to your menu whenever you camp and he'll cook it for you. But, um, the amount of money that's gone into this is stupid. So it'll show you the food and it is the most fucking beautifully rendered food i've ever seen in a video game it's astonishing the amount of work and art artistry that's gone into representing my beans on toast the most basic recipe is a piece of unbuttered toast and it's so lovingly textured and just like i just wanted to pick like willy wonka you know reach into the screen and take it out and just nosh on it and uh just if that's what the food is like imagine just what the rest of the game is like i i'm really in love with it in spite of all it's terrible <laughs> broken floors <laughs> it sounds like you've sold it to me no there yeah. you go it, it, if you want to eat some amazing I don't know if I can wait for it to come out on PC no you should play it it's it's really funny <laughs> it's, 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 it's quite a time sink but there are some good kind of just levelling and money earning cheaty bits on the internet that let you just kind of enjoy it for what it is uh, see oh, I love it because I've ambiently absorbed so many different people playing this because it was like Twitter's game of Christmas again as far as mm. I understood it I have I still have no idea what you do in it or why. Uh, yeah, no one knows. I had, okay. to, I had to look it up after I'd beaten the game, what it all was really all about. Um, you're kind of sense you're a prince and you're, you've got like your, the prince's guard. And they're your best buds and they all cram into a car with you and you're supposed to drive very slowly to, uh, meet the person you're supposed to marry. And after that. See, that's, a, I, I like that as a setting. That, that, yeah, that, that, that's how it starts. I buy that. And that's, that's the first kind of basically third to half of the game. By far the, the, the part of the game they finished basically. And then after that, it's just trash. <laughs> just complete nonsense. Does it just do, does it just go Final Fantasy? Like, yeah. so it has this sort of, um, weird villain with a sword and, and kind of yeah. world ending things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's also, it doesn't help that they, a lot of the kind of backstory and the kind of, law underpinning of it was basically released in a film that no one is ever going to watch oh, yeah. uh, but none of that is included in the game none of the kind of facts facts of it there's no journal you can access to discuss, find out what the hell happened or what <laughs> significance of anything it is or why it matters that you know x person dies or this person has done the x and it's full of the same kind of fantasy just bollocks jargon that you know is throughout all final fantasies there's a crystal and there's it's vaguely mystical there are you know there are sort of gods basically that you have to kind of capture and bring onto your side see that sort of stuff Which works is, fine yeah. when you're in this sort of you know where it's super deformed kind of little kind of anime characters as soon as you've got yeah. realistic food and like um and a rolls royce absolutely like, it's just sort of well and like uh uh isn't there a garage towards the start of the game that you kind of go to i think as as soon as a game has a garage in it like you can't really do world ending kind of mystical crystals and stuff I mean, that's my general rule, I think. <laughs> right. You have to pick crystals or a garage. On what, what is the fundamental unit of technology in this, in this exactly. universe? Yeah. 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 You can't have, you can't have like a manual laborer who replaces the crystals. Exactly. In your magic. Yeah. And you've got a wizard or a, or a, or a mechanic. Nothing in between. <laughs> 
well, I mean, a suit, you know, I mean, I think it was, you know, was it Arthur C. Clarke who said that a suitably advanced mechanic <laughs> is indistinguishable from a wizard? That's, oh, you're right. He got there further. Arthur C. Clarke really did force everything. <laughs> yeah, in he did, yeah. <laughs> Final Fantasy has not thought that deeply about any okay. of these guys. I'll be, I'll be honest. It's, it's, it's on a much lower level. <laughs> uh, but I, I love the road trip. It's brilliant. It's really satisfying to kind of be three areas and get kind of, hunts from local diners they're like oh go and kill this dragon a hunt a hunt yeah <laughs> hunt this dragon and buy some beans <laughs> and that's what i want to do apparently at christmas is just hunt a dragon and buy some beans so because i mean that would also clash with alex's assertion that you can't have like high and low fantasy in the same <laughs> yeah. in the same space it, it does match them together in a deeply satisfying way yeah until the you know the story actually tries to do stuff yep, that's why even though there's been a million of these games they're called final fantasy Oh, they're all apocalypse scenarios. Yeah. Well, partly the apocalypse scenario, but also it's partly the, because the it's the point at which fantasy has nowhere else to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that. It's the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. You can't so, go outside of these bounds. No. But they keep getting Garages, beans and dragons. <laughs> exactly. Every fantasy at once. How, how can this work? <laughs> it doesn't. The world ends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Alex, what have you been up to? It's funny you should mention load fantasy because I've been playing Conan Exiles. Huh. Oh, is that, so I had no idea what that was until I realized it was one of them Rust games. What with the ding dongs in them? Cause I, I love, I really love a nice survival game. I really don't like survival games. No one, like, no one likes that, I was going to question you on the first half of that sentence, Alex, cause no one likes survival games. I don't, I don't understand. So this game, I was really surprised by it. I didn't realize just how much it was like Ark. I really didn't like Ark. I thought that I couldn't really understand how Ark existed as a released in early access, okay, but a released game. It rang, this is like a year, I don't know, a while ago, but like it ran like bum on my PC. Uh, it was just unpleasant and I, really, I didn't know what to do. Everything just was horrible. Um, I just like dinosaurs. That's why I, don't, that's why I wanted yeah. to play it. Mm. I just love dinosaurs and I wanted to play a game with dinosaurs in it. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, it's interesting, Conan Exiles. Like, it's the kind of game that a studio that had put a lot of money into building an MMO back when MMOs were kind of what you did, you know, to get big player bases mm. and stuff. Um, it's what, what a big studio who's burned a crap load of money on doing that and probably hasn't seen quite the returns it wanted to would do. Cause survival games are as kind of, crowd pleasing things are pretty cheap to make i would say you, know, you don't have to finish them apparently and you don't have to finish <laughs> them and like um and it's all in the grind you know it's all you don't have to make any content you yeah. just put a new crafting like sort of tier in and like oh there you go there's some content and it feels like that um what i quite enjoyed about it was well obviously the dongs um mm. they were great um if you haven't seen the dongs i recommend uh um, visiting the works of Christopher Livingston with, mm. um, because it's wonderful. Don correspondent Chris Livingston, <laughs> unwilling Don correspondent. Um, uh, but um, so I, I fiddled around in my dong, and uh, immediately after getting off, there's a, a, a naked dead body uh, just in front of me. As Goodness soon as I spawned, there we are. It's quite a start. <laughs> uh, and then. Um, what um I was just really surprised just how much it is like uh arc like in all of the crossing systems and all of the things that you do, mm. and you're meant to be a barbarian, you know meant to be in this kind of grand low fantasy world of kind of 
boobs and beasts and stuff like that. Um, and what you do is stare very closely at rocks while you're mining them and stare very closely at tree trunks while you're chopping them. Mm. And you stand in shrubs picking them. And that's what I did uh, for a long time to build um, a very bad looking uh, little kind of Watland daub hut. Um, and I felt that I was being pulled along this thing. Uh, you, what, one of the, like, I think it's all about the end game though. Like, um, it's thing is that you build up a clan and build up your fortress and then you can build great big, uh, shrines to your gods and, and then through them you can build or summon avatar, mm. which is this fast towering kind of god that will walk you can control and walk through and smash up everything of your enemies i wish games would open with that rather than going through the find 50 twigs to make a fire but you part. also know that like I, I don't know i don't know this but i i deeply suspect that every avatar that you can summon is the result of hours of graft you know of kind of twig collection absolutely and um but the dongs I think Top they're dogs. amazing. Top dongs. They what they really do wobble around. That's amazing. <laughs> and like the NPCs will just go around with just like no trousers. It's incredible. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is quite Conan though, I feel like. Yeah, no, it's weird how much yeah. it it is arc, but it does feel like it fits with Conan. Mm. Would you accept that they were naked? With uh, the... We're just trying to figure out where the line is here. It's it's dogs are naked, that. those people are naked. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they were yeah, but there are quite a lot of pure naked. Lots of very purely naked people. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess maybe the thing with survival games is it's like maybe the reason you don't have to finish them is because you start the player's journey at like the furthest, like it is like the apple pie from scratch thing where you also have to invent the universe at the beginning, right? Like the player's journey to a fun thing begins with carving their own shoes yeah. out of the living earth. Whereas most games would skip you to you are a level one fighter. Here is your gear. Go kill a dragon and then bring me some beans. Like, whereas, you know, survival trades on the fact that it's, you're there. Because like the warriors of old, you have to make your own shoes. And drag yourself up by your... your Dong. Dong straps. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Conan, what is best in life? And it's not that. I mean, I, I think that also, like, it's, you can't deny the... The social aspect, like if I was playing, if I was 16, if I was 14, probably 13, <laughs> I would be, yeah. I wouldn't be proud as a, as I am now, but I, I would be all over this game because it's got tits. It's, I'd be embarrassed about the dongs and I'd be down there with my mates. Oh, Doing what? Punching trees. Punching trees <laughs> and building fortresses. Mm. And like, you know, it's all there. But it's like, oh, and the, it's laggy as hell. Like, it's one of those games where you kind of walk forward and it skips you back because, like, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's a bit technically a mess, but I'm sure that'll get <laughs> Sorry, that's like the phrase rubber banding dong stuck in my Because <laughs> actually, you're thinking about it. Like, I imagine the animation would go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Teleported backwards six meters. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Dang. We might as well be 13, honestly. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, so it, it, it's early access, right? Yeah, it's, and it's expensive. It's twenty something. Wow. So, um, Oof. but it is yeah, it's Funcom who made yeah, Age of is. Conan, and it's you know I think game. it's definitely in a more a better state than Ark was at the same hmm, okay. point. But then That's you kind of think, well, is it? 
come on, yes, yeah. the show it should be. Hmm. Hmm. One day we will talk about a survival game that is good. DC was, was good. Uh, it, yeah, it was good, but then it stopped. That seemed apparently stopped being developed. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to Long Dark. I'm gonna. Mm. I'm gonna wait out for that one. Did you did you play have you played it already? Uh I, I played it years ago when it first went first into early access. Yeah. And it was like, oh I love the way it looks and stuff, but you know, obviously a long way to go. Um but I think that might have some chops. Well I'll tell you yes. what, like like the flame in the flood is good as well, and don't starve oh, is I good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the, Don't Starve's good. Yeah. There are good survival games, but they tend to use like this sounds stupid. They they, they all, the good ones are all like survival games on purpose. <laughs> Rather. I think it's like, so um, I did a thing about um, Astroneer recently um, and about mm. why Astroneer is fun. And I think it's because they made the date, the moment to moment stuff of gathering resources feel good. Whereas it doesn't in most games, like mm. ch- chopping at some tree or, or staring at a rock to mine it, you know, it isn't doesn't feel good. Like it, it's it, like it's the thing that's in the way of doing. The guy said to me, um, Jacob, uh, who's the lead designer on it, on Astroneer, said that they don't. They sort of see it as like all of the game is the game, not just the thing that you're aiming for. Yeah. So if you have that attitude, you can make. You know, when you're sucking in sort of um, uh, resources, when you're kind of on a planet, on on it feels good. Like mm. so, you don't mind running off and again running out of stuff and having to go and get it. You don't mind that you don't have a, you only have a small inventory because simply traversing the ground and taking advantage of your oxygen system that you've built out into it and feeling like oh, I've got a really nice system coming here that I've kind of built up. It's all. It feels like you're playing the game even when you're doing the obstructive stuff to, to the kind of your overall um, goals. Whereas I playing Conan, the whole thing feels like a, an obstruction to whatever I feel mm. the game is meant to be about. And I think the game is meant to be about having a massive fortress and smashing up other people's fortresses, which I think, you know, the rest of the game is just trying to slow you down to get yeah. to that point. I think that's the thing. It's like, most of the kind of the current wave of survival games don't have a substantially powerful like NPC threat yeah. necessarily. They are they're literally sandboxes. Like they're dinosaurs or monsters or whatever, but it's not like the zombies in Daisy where sometimes you get seen and you're fucked like for that life. Like that's over. Because that's where Daisy started, right? It didn't start out as survival crafting game, it doesn't really have crafting in it. It started out as zombie apocalypse yeah. in in armor. And, you know, can you survive it? And all of the interplayer dynamics in that game were the accident, in a way, of like what happens when you put people into this completely different scenario. Like, because the scenario itself, at its basic level, is compelling. It's like you've got no food, you're going to starve to death, you've got no weapons. There are zombies. Go see how far you get, and then you add the added the dimension that brings kind of the magic to the game, which is the fact that there are people there, and they might help you and they might hinder you, but. Every life is intended to be short. You yeah. never really build anything. Yeah. You may have a good life and that might last you a couple of days of going back to the game and you get good stuff. But every life has begun with the knowledge that you don't have a future. You were going to die and eventually, and no matter how well equipped you are, you could die from a stray bullet at any time. Whereas it feels like a lot of the current generation of survival games, the ones that I don't like, are the ones that are built around the idea that you will both play this forever and continue to gain power and build up a 
well, a fortress. You, yeah, because yeah, your XP uh, is is um, uh, persistent. Persistent. And, yeah. So, but you will also face the kind of the the minute inconveniences and threats and risk of life at such a granular level as well. And so it seems to lack the natural sense of escalation that yeah. Daisy had. Well, also, yeah, because it's thinking about the long term, the long term curve, and you know. Once you're level, I don't know, seven or eight, like it really, you do start to grind and, and that, and it's, it's XP or going up levels that allows you to buy new crafting kind of things. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do, if you want a nice sword or whatever, you're going to have to grind for it. Like, and that's not the Daisy thing at all. Like Daisy, you know, it's pot, it's luck. Or it's individual lives that you're kind of you know, you're yeah. thinking about that sort of scale, which which is, appeals to me much more. Yeah, I mean, the, before Daisy was sort of left, just left behind. I think um, the ideas they had for it were all about more persistence. But in a way, it was great as this kind of like pure experience. And maybe you can't build a, you know, a kind of maybe you can't build a a profitable game that will support your company that will go and go and go and go that doesn't have those persistent <coughs> elements and that doesn't mm. draw players in with, oh, there's a new thing to find. Yeah. Or it wouldn't be satisfying for those players to know, oh, there's a new thing to build. Or there's a new, you know, there's a new item in the game, but we've just hidden it somewhere and you might find it, but you might not. Versus this tech tree and you has new stuff at the end of it. If you want the, I don't know, the broadsword that you can throw at people, then this is, you need 80 pieces of iron go stare at this hill, which is a much older Skinner box, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It feels like that, that genre sort of collapsed in on itself very, very quickly. I think in it, space of a few years. progression mechanics, people have tried to attach to it. have just been ill-suited and from completely different genres. So you can't put an MMO progression loop onto a survival game, which is what everyone does. Um, so for DayZ, all I wanted was for the basic kind of interactions with the world to actually work properly. And for mm -hmm. zombies to not work through walls, and for there to be a basic level of fidelity to it, which yeah, they yeah. never achieved. Yeah. And if they'd have achieved that and then said, here's a new island, I would go back to that game and have new lives on that island with new kind mm. of places to secure. And then every, you know, six to eight months they go, oh, here's a new territory and there's a new zombie type. That's the type of progression. And, but that maintains the short life loop and yeah. keeps you in the game. It's just that people have tried to just put on very kind of cheap, easily, borrowed crafting systems onto situations that just uh, don't warrant them at all yeah so you need to add something to distract the player from the fact that they're just on a treadmill and that thing's a dick big bouncy dick it's a big bouncy dick and boobs and boobs conan conan <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes the ultimate power fantasy well, I suppose that's the stupid thing with that fiction, right? Like, well, that's it. You, you don't, you don't, you don't play a five power, uh, power fantasy yeah. at all. Like, you mm. constantly feel like a tiny, insignificant. I, I like that MMO. I like that game. kind of MMO. I yeah, it was all right. Reviewing one of the expansions to it, I had to kind of. It tried to do a kind of brackets combat system where you're just kind of guarding in directions and striking mm. and stuff, and it, it it was like generally trying to do that kind of yeah. thing of you being just someone in cloth fighting ridiculous, horrible things. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it does seem like a peculiar mismatch in terms of license and survival. And, and on the other hand, exactly what you'd expect for yeah. what a company would do today. Like, mm. if I was if I was a, a big big player, if I was a business guy, you're a big player, Alex. 
Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> I'm wearing a suit right now as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd make a survival game. Yeah. Yeah. How would you differentiate yourself, though? Conan's got dicks. That's good dinosaurs. Naked dogs. So, so dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it's been done. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Teleporting dogs. Time travel dogs. Time travel dogs. So, like, GTA Online is huge. It's doing really well for Rockstar. Yeah. Do you think like a, a survival-esque game in the GTA universe would kill it? Yeah. yeah. Why hasn't Rockstar done it? They yeah, basically, GTA that Online be... is basically that though, right? You you build up a steady yeah, I suppose it is. portfolio, portfolio, yeah. a portfolio of reserves um, by, <laughs> you know, true. doing mini games and hunting players. And it, but instead of chopping wood, you'd be robbing people. Which you do in Which GTA, you do, right? Yeah, yeah. Online, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they can't, I don't think they, they could or should do the stare at trees to get a Glock kind of. They wouldn't do that. You'd be, Hopefully. there'd be someone being killed by a gun involved in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But that's what people like doing in the video games. Yeah, but still. I'm sort of glad that that wave seems to be fading. I don't know if it is, maybe I'm just explaining to it. Yeah. Oh, I think it's in, it's, it's the, there's more yet to come. I think. It felt like it's been all, it's, there's a, there's a constant amount of it, but it doesn't feel like the kind of tidal wave of ev- everyone's in mm. as it, that it used to. Maybe that's just because maybe Steam's curation has gotten better. So the, the vast tidal wave of unfinished Unity Asset Store survival game demos has been hidden. Mm. Still bubbles away underneath the <clears> surface. <throat> hmm. Hmm. I've been playing a game called Card Quest. Have you heard of Card Quest? Yeah, I have. Have you? Is it super lo-fi? Yes. Yeah, I've, I've, um, I won't play some more of it. I'm, I've played maybe an hour or so. Mm, Cause so, um, Pip told me about it cause she'd written a new story about it and just sort of suggested it to me. And it's, I've, I've, I've sunk into it in a way I didn't expect. Um, because it is super lo-fi. Like, I don't think, uh, anyone would object to the art being called rudimentary. Yeah. In a kind of old school, ultimate underworld, pixely kind of way. It makes you kind of think the game won't actually function. Like, is that, is yeah. that kind of level art? It's, it's, it's like, um, my RPG maker sprites. Yeah. Level. Um, and it's all like, you know, sound effects from sound effect libraries and it's been made by two people. By yeah, all I think accounts. it's in Ariel as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it, like, it's always good when you can identify the font, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Normal word processor. Tom, can you uh, put wine in there? I certainly can. Um, so it's, yeah. So what, what it is, is it's a, um, RPG card game about clearing encounters in a, in a, a series of adventures. And it's, in, it's in early access, I think, for a couple of quid. Um, and there are currently two adventures. And the first one is a, the only one I've played is like a, an undead infested town. And you pick one of three classes, which are fighter, wizard, and rogue, as you'd expect. And you, um, you beat these encounters, which are monsters that have certain, um, health values and attack values and traits in some cases. And they line up in front of you and you play cards from your hand, um, and deal in various different resources based on which class you are. And then if you beat that encounter, you move on to the next encounter and your health is persistent. And if you die, you go back to the start of the game, but you level up in a, in a persistent way over time, um, which gives you access to like new schools of magic and you can get items that you keep. So, you know, at home I've been playing, it doesn't transfer your save. So at home I've been playing it as the wizard 
and that is really hard but i've now got to a certain level and i've sort of it's that old old super old school dungeon crawler thing of pushing further and further into a set of repetitive challenges and just trying to get a little bit further each time and trying to get a little bit further each time and the even though everything about it is extraordinarily lo-fi and only to some extent in a deliberate way you get the impression like i think it has adopted the aesthetic of like ultima underworld or like a proper old school dungeon crawler but it even it hasn't then like executed that with like a high degree of kind of like flair it's kind of a little janky but the um there's some pretty good just pure card game design kicking away under the surface yeah. like it would work as a tabletop game i think yeah. just just in terms of playing cards against yourself it's kind of like monster solitaire really yeah um it's really simple really yeah but really sharply defined card yeah game. each each class is impressively different as yeah. well so like it's all about like it's 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 the game for you if you enjoy the the logic of a round of um like magic the gathering or hearthstone or something like that if you enjoy the logic of like how do i do enough damage not to die here with the cards in front of me which tap into various different resources and spend different resources in different ways or might enable you to do a card draw if you combo it with another card some games will, some cards will start combos other com- cards will end them other cards will trigger off them um you have later items and things and then you have like a resource pool and some of your cards are defensive which means that they can only be used when it's the enemy's turn and you choose when to give the turn to your opponent so there's a big strategic dimension in like holding enough energy back to uh know that you can spend enough cards to mitigate all the damage you might receive but then those the different defense cards you have might interact with the enemies in different ways and do different things and like when it works really well it's really compulsive to just try and resolve these little problems because you if you haven't like an eye for rules and kind of seeing the potential synergies between things you start to see like oh well these are the three enemies i've got and this is my way of dealing with it so i'm going to mulligan this first hand and the idea in the hopes of getting this card and i haven't drawn this card yet so i'm going to discard two and draw one and tap for this and tap for that and it really does kind of like flow really nicely when you're on a roll when it's not working it's because it's ultimately you know a roguelike of a kind like when you lose that's it yeah and it can screw you with the card draw like it can absolutely prevent you from winning with the cards that you're dealt and that is more pronounced i think for some of the classes than others so the thing that i thought was really interesting was i started playing as the wizard because of course i did and i think informally i've discovered that the wizard is hard mode and the fighter is easy mode and the rogue mm. is in the middle. Mm. And I don't think that's written anywhere, but I'll put it this way. I like accidentally played it for two hours in that kind of like, Oh fuck this. I'm doing it again. And I played for ages and I got to like level four before I was able to beat the first boss is the wizard, because sometimes you just get fucked by an earlier encounter. And the wizard is all about knowing how to chain your damage spells together. So you can basically kill everything before you have to defend because until a bit later on, if you get some items, your defenses are rubbish. You really don't want to take a hit, particularly because you can't heal and your health bar is persistent. And some bosses will just do a certain amount of damage. So if you've taken a couple of hits because of a bad draw and encounters earlier in the run, you should probably quit, apart from the fact that you might get XP because you've you're that's probably not the run where you make it. Mm. And the and XP is a grind and you don't get new stuff very regularly, so you you know 
pretty much exactly what the parameters are for success. But, you know, I stuck with it. I ground around. I got pretty good with knowing where the synergies were within the wizard's deck and, you know, unlocked a different deck and started playing with that. And then after defeating the first boss gave me an item that was a big enough power spike that I could then, I did all of the second zone, defeated the second boss, and then got all of the way to the boss of the third zone. But this was after like two hours and I'd leveled up to like level seven or eight or something like that. And I'd had to like learn how that character worked inside out in order to do it like, you, that, like at level seven are you do you feel more insulated against kind of like the quite turn you know you can you can lose your fortunes in a turn when you're kind of yeah so levels. that is specifically because the items you get items for defeating bosses mm. and you have to pick which one you're going to take with you but i'll give you the, the example is that after beating the first boss i got an item it's called like a blink stone or something and i've always got it and i can use it defensively to just put distance between myself and the entire line of enemies, which means that if they don't have ranged attacks, most of them don't. They have to spend their turn walking forwards rather than attacking. So, and that's huge because it means you get one extra turn of just not being killed, basically. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but until I got that, there were turns where it's like, oh, I actually can't do enough damage to survive. There's no way for me to do it. So that's that. Um, or turns where it's like, well, I have to spend what energy I've got to draw a card. And if it's not the right card, I'm boned. And so there are problems like that. Um, but then the thing that struck me today is I, at lunchtime, realizing it didn't cloud save, just that I'll, at work, I'll play as the warrior because that's a different thing. And I'd never played as that class before. Had, had no idea how it worked. Do understand how the game works a little bit better, but I had to learn this class from scratch. And on my first attempt, I got to the third boss. And I leveled up to four on the way, but it was like, I mean, a th- like, quarter of the amount of time it took me to get to the same places as the other class so it feels i don't know if that's a deliberate easy mm. hard differential like it's supposed to be that way but it definitely felt like there was like a more satisfying game with one of the classes just because the way it was designed i didn't feel like i could be screwed over by and it's really interesting like they've done such a cool job of like meaningfully differentiating what it means to be a fighter versus what it means to be a wizard in the context of using cards to do stuff mm. So, like, the fighter has a load of different ways to not just mitigate damage, but to benefit from being hit, which other classes just can't do at all. So, like, you have a dodge card that's free if you've got it. And if you've got it, then it gives you loads of benefits for doing it. So you actually kind of want someone to swing at you because you want to be able to play the dodge. And you've also got a a block that, <clears throat> a block that reduces the damage of that particular opponent that you block by one for the next two turns. And then you have like an armor ability, or like a defensive stance that means that two damage out of every incoming attack isn't mitigated for the next three turns, which is huge, which means that if you're fighting six, two damage enemies that will kill a wizard in one turn easily, the fighter can just stand there and take it for three turns. But the downside of that is any defensive cards you use in that time, you're kind of wasting them because mm. that's your free don't get hit time. So there's a, I mean, this is either the most boring thing in the world or one or super cool, depending on how into that kind of logic you are. But there's something really satisfying of like when you start to grok it and it's, you know how to, when you can look at the cards in your hand and know exactly how to play it to take no damage from an encounter and very efficiently spend damage and, and, and sort of master the randomness of the card drawer and stuff and end up kind of like, perfecting encounter after encounter and when you get a bit of a head of steam like that that's how you end up making more headway into 
what is a lot of game. Like I say, I've gotten to the third boss of the first mission. So there are two missions, and that is like less than a third of the way through the first one. Mm. And you have to go back from the start every time you play it. Bloody. So it could last you like it has that old school the rpg that was on your 486 that you never finished because it was functionally infinite feel to it <laughs> which is cool for a, like a, a couple of quid yeah. it's really to think of design don't know if that matches your experience with it alex i haven't played enough to to like but i recognize i recognize that getting to grips thing which i didn't play long enough in that session to to do i installed it on the on the laptop I work on, you see, and, mm. and that's a bad place for games to be because I'm not allowed to play them there. It's mm. a worky, worky place. Mm. What was it called? Uh, Card Quest. Card Quest. So that's just, the most forgettable name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's I'll descriptive. It You're on a quest and there are cards. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah. And like, I was initially a little bit put off by the trailer because the trailer makes it look like a quite a different game to what it actually is, I think. Because mm. it's not really like a collectible card game. Like as i've seen it so far i think maybe you can earn new cards but like i haven't yet like it is like each class has its little deck yeah. and they are you know specific and, and you can unlock a new one but it'll be an entirely new deck you're not swapping out individual cards yeah. or the strategy in that way i find that encouraging because my experience with collectible card games is that they just run away ahead of me uh before you know I, i'll be i'll keep pace with them for a, a time but the more they start to release new cards which obviously they have to for their business um the more the kind of overall meta and the rules of the game change to the extent that I just can't yeah. devote the time to understanding exactly. how to play yeah. the game anymore. I, I struggle with just starting cards for a lot of games. Yeah, so like Hearthstone's gone there, yeah. Gwent will go there. Yeah, I think the fact that this is just this sort of little single player thing, like the, yeah. the thing I'd put it close to is Solitaire. Like yeah. it is it is in that category. It feels really like, up close and kind of personal, doesn't it? Nice. Yeah, it is just like something you run in a window and just sort of battle solitaire. Yeah, that? it's like yeah. it is. Uh, I mean, well, that is exactly what Regency Solitaire was, pretty much. But mm. like, I think it's in that category, even though even though its aesthetic is much closer to a like a traditional CCG battle game, it feels more like a kind of little pattern that you resolve. And the frustration that comes with that is sometimes it will just fuck you over. Mm. And I think if you go into it with that RPG mindset of if I do this perfectly, nothing can go wrong. It can sometimes be like, and fuck you. Because you just might not get the card you need. You might mulligan the first hand you dealt, which has a cost associated with it. Right. And the second hand is worse. And then you have been playing for half an hour on this run, and that's that. And so I, I do think there are problems with it. Like, I do think it could, like, like the, you know, God knows we've spoken enough on this, on this podcast about Spelunky and FTL and games like this, but it's in, it's in that mold. It has FTL style kind of node picking as you're kind of threading your way through the, hmm to reaching to each area um but there's a in in spelunky the systems are so dynamic and kind of brilliant that you and the levels are so interesting that even if you don't quote unquote get something out of a run yeah. you know that the next one's not going to be the same whereas the runs in this are pretty similar um but you have the pleasure of of figuring out these little individual encounters. Yeah. Like it's a little puzzle game. And you know, there's lots of story stuff in FTL which aren't, isn't in this. And then um, there are other games like something like Rogue Legacy, which is yeah. going on a bit now. Or yeah, I didn't like Rogue Legacy very much. There are things I liked about Rogue Legacy, but I think the games that do this sort of charge into the same dungeon over and over again and hope for something to change do a good job of like every time you come back out again, um, new toy, new thing substantial shift in playstyle, that kind of thing. Uh, Darkest Dungeon being another example of this. I always I find it very interesting watching um uh people like Northern Lion play 
so he was really into um, Spelunky, but um, oh, what's the Edmund McMillan game? Uh, Binding of Binding Isaac. Isaac. And his the way he played it, like high level, very like he was doing builds every time. Like mm. he had stra- like he was running a strategy, but also you know in order to run a strategy for you know a run, you have to know the likelihood of things happening. So, oh, I, I'm I'm going to go for this kind of build. Um, it isn't that likely that, that that I will get this on level whatever it is that that will you know is likely to appear. But I'm going to have a go, and if mm. that doesn't work, then I can fall back to such. It was interesting to see that at that level where you know he's not earning stuff anymore. He is doing it for the for that game you know like he's playing it not for the overall progression but for, mm. for kind of like yeah i feel like card quest is a bit too lightweight for that mm. i think i think it would benefit from probably more or less impactful upgrades um and maybe more chance of getting them at different times or like taking risks like some mechanic whereby you could double down on the risk of a fight in order to get a chance of getting an upgrade and tinker with your build for the mm. next run yeah. because after i've gotten those items that have made it easier like after I, after I got to that point, the stuff that took me hours to crack, I can now do every time. But I'm not making any decisions. I'm just using the better thing, right? So it's not like I'm going back and going, well, what if I approach this differently? What if I do a, a run where I'm going to shoot the shopkeeper, which is the FTL example. Yeah. Sorry, the Spelunky example. Yeah. Um, you, you are basically, the satisfaction comes from getting better and better and better at negotiating the rules of the combat system which is more sophisticated i would argue than equivalent systems in other games like this but you don't have that sort of macro scale how my overall strategy has changed thing that other games do really well or or the chance to get something some upgrade halfway through a run that changes the character of that run. Mm. It does feel like running back at the same challenges over and over and over again, relying on a, you're increasing expertise, but also b that little hope that it's not just going to screw you over with them, just the, the card draw or the, yeah. the, the, the sheer chance of it. And that I think is a weakness. I think it's a weakness that's mitigated by the design of the fighter class. Um, and that comes down to the fact that, um, in games guess health bars are really important. Like if you can live for longer, you can do more stuff. And so fighting slower and more survivably is over a longer period of time, more strategically interesting than being the glass cannon that has to kill everything or will instantly lose. Because, you know, when the fighter gets screwed by the, the, the card draw, you probably take a couple of damage. You didn't want to, yeah. but you have ways of clawing it back. Yeah. Whereas the, the, the wizard, it's just over most of the time. And that's, that's a game design thing to unpick, but that's a, that is a nitpick for what is a like a six quid. Pretty better impressive. than it looks game. Yeah, way yeah. better than it looks. Yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes because I wouldn't be surprised if people haven't heard of it because I think it's pretty new. It only came out a couple of days ago mm. into early access. And I, I should say as an early access thing, it's I think like the, there's a third mission or third quest that isn't available at the moment, but it feels like it's not. It, I think it'd be hard for a game that rudimentary to be notably buggy or like unfinished but obviously there's always more you can add to a game like that but it's not like you're not getting a full game but you're getting a lot of a finished idea mm. at least like the mm. core loop is done they figured out what that is so it's like a good lunchtime game it is a very good lunchtime I'm game try it tomorrow yeah 
You should jump on. Yeah, give it a go because it's yeah. Because that's perfect. I was always listening to podcasts anyway while I'm playing stuff at lunch. So it was like the frustration of being instantly killed arbitrarily is lessened by it just being a way to pass time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good way to pass time. It's you know, it, yeah, sure. it would be an amazing. It would be an amazing pack-in with Windows. <laughs> <laughs> the new Minesweeper. Yeah, indeed. Nice. Shall we do questions? We should, but first we should also do. Clarifications. Clarifications from clarifications. And an apology. And, and maybe an apology. <laughs> so during the break, we discovered that for that entire last a million years that I was talking about Card Quest, and Alex and I were talking about the game we'd both played. Our shared experience. Our shared experience of the game <laughs> Card Quest. We were in fact talking about completely different games that are nonetheless apparently the same if you describe them using all of the words I used. <laughs> so, Alex, what did you think I was talking about? I thought you were talking about Dream Quest. Well, I wasn't. Yeah, that's weird. What is Dream Quest? Other than Dream Quest is a, a card-based dungeon crawler with very rudimentary graphics. No, I'm, you guys are talking about the same game again, surely. I mean, as in... You know, so, third-person observer of this conversation. <laughs> don't understand the difference. So, I guess, I mean, I don't know who we apologise to, but you, the listener, the creators of either Card Quest or Dream Quest, everybody involved in this. I think everybody on Earth, except for Donald Trump. <laughs> He's allowed to get them mixed up. Everyone exactly. Else I hope you were confused be by this, Donald. <laughs> I hope you bought both and realised that one of them wasn't the one you were looking for. <laughs> Should have checked the show notes. I don't know why this has gone in that direction, mm. but it has. Um, so yeah, so that was, that happened. That was a strange thing. To, yeah. Why did you realize that I wasn't talking about that game? I started to fear it, or at least I kind of, <laughs> <laughs> fear is a constant in my life. Uh, the, I'm wrong, fear. <laughs> you just started to say, they've just started got a feeling and I just thought, am I, is this definitely, and is this the one? So you may have heard me say, that it used the font Arial. Dream Quest, uh, no, hang on. Card Quest does not use font Arial. No, it doesn't. Dream Quest does. That's how you can tell them. Apparently. As accidental slights go, it's not such a major one. Because it could have been Comic Sans. It could have been Comic Sans. <laughs> it should it could, yeah. Deeply libelous. I mean, you know, this is, I mean, it's just more evidence of the. They're both good games, though, and you should buy them all, and they're all very cheap. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say this is more evidence of, um, you know, the, the inherent incompetence of our profession. Uh, but well, that too. Sure. It could, be, it could be two things. Yeah, Come I mean, on. Why not both? <laughs> uh, anyway, so I'm glad we cleared that up. We can now move on to other questions. Uh, and, th and this time they're, they're coming from questions. Scroll up. I wasn't ready. Uh, Professor Chaos writes... Yeah, who I believe has just been named Secretary of State. Um, <laughs> he writes, how would each of you describe yourselves? Crate or crowbar? I, I would definitely describe myself as a, a crate. I knew you would. I with knew when a, I saw this question that would be the answer. With a, an arm coming out of it, shoveling cooked <laughs> pork into it until it swells and starts to kind of splinter and... Like one of those little novelty money boxes that you put the coin on, the hand right. comes out and drags but it in. The coin, nothing will happen, but pork. <laughs> then it activates. Like a little pork medallion. The pork medallion, yeah. right in. That's, I mean, this has just been my Christmas, just as You a, make excellent pork medallions. I'll say that, I'll say that for you. <laughs> I've eaten a lot of those, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know how to make them. Absolutely. That's how you discovered that recipe. Absolutely. You killed a lot of pork. I mean, I, now I'm going to spend the rest of my year 
working out and doing exercise to become a crowbar. <laughs> Maybe in five years' time, it's going to take a while. The pork medallions are not healthy. No. Um, I think I'm a crate, uh, crate as well. I'm passive vessel. <laughs> <laughs> Exist for storage. I think I know what you are, though, Chris. What, what am I? You're a lovely, lovely, lovely crowbar. You reckon? I think I'm, I think I don't, I don't know if crate life would suit me. Yeah. I don't know if I could, yeah. Sure, we'll pork into your cob for eternity. <laughs> I, get, I get impatient. just want to crack open boxes, I guess. Like, okay. Okay. No, yeah. um, hmm. It's the it's the, the giver and the taker, isn't it? These two things. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> that's turned that, our logo into a metaphor that I know wasn't prepared for that I, I imagine it was what marsh was thinking about but no one else was thinking <laughs> Probably, about yeah, it at the time it's, 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 now. as is one <laughs> so, he's definitely a crate <laughs> so i think i think tom francis is a, a crowbar yeah i think tom francis is a crowbar graham Ooh, hmm. that's an interesting one he's both <laughs> okay, wow blimey interesting yeah, I guess it is. He, he wields the stick. It's an intersectional. Like but an iron also, box. But he also has a strong, uh, you know, embrace. He's a, he's a, he's a, a relaxed crowbar. A floppy crowbar. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pip, I'm not sure. I think, I think Pip's a secret crowbar. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. stealth crowbar. I think, I think stealth people crowbar. might incorrectly assume crate. Yeah. But actually, crowbar. Yeah. Mm. Um, I hope that is informative. Zed Fang writes, if you could magically make it so a game you've played sold a few million more copies than it did, uh, which game would it be? I answer this. It's, uh, it's DMC, the mm. Devil May Cry mm. reboot. Um, and it's, it's partly, I remember this because Rich, uh, Rich Stanton has been just tweeting gifs of it and little videos of it all week because he's, he's gone back to it. And I've, I've beat that game like four times now. Like, it's so good. I love it. It's an amazing. It's really good. Uh, super slick, beautifully presented uh, combat game. And it was just completely maligned and just almost just uh, vilified on yeah. social media by the fan community that... Just, how could Ninja Theory know how to make a Devil May Cry game? I know, holy crap. Ninja Theory, I mean... Uh, and also, just on such kind of dumb grounds, like, oh, Dante doesn't look how he should look, and doesn't act how he should act, having not played the game, and uh, just, uh, there's this kind of force of assumption um, that, I don't know, seemed to crush it. No one, no one was allowed to just play it and enjoy it and kind of talk about how good it was. Yeah. And it's, it's great. It yeah, really I love that game. game. Yeah. It was really rad. I, really, I liked it. It was not a direct peer of Bayonetta, but it was around the same time, mm-hmm. and I love both of those games for taking essentially the devil may cry formula in like mm. making them cool and feel new and fresh and quite subversive but in completely different ways mm. like bayonetta really embraced the the strangeness of it um but kind of amped up how kind of subversive and camp and kind of like powerfully like queer that game was right like it's this kind of amazing like because there's you know the traditional devil may cry games like hyper sexualized but you know often in a traditional comic booky video gamey way whereas bayonetta took it in a completely different yeah that's really sort of, high yeah. camp yeah mm. yeah precisely um bayonetta remains one of my favorite games of all time and then dmc was the answer to like what does the kind of the 
punk rock version of Devil May Cry look like? What does Devil May Cry look like with political consciousness? And that and that, rad- the precision as well. It kept precision in as well. Yeah, it, yeah fundamentally the same sort of core, but like a different kind of swagger to it. And mm. I, I really admired it. Like it's one of those games that, like, I think I may have said this on the podcast before, but like, it's one of the few games that I daydream about making a sequel to, even though I have none of the expertise. Like, it's one of the settings, one of those ideas that like keeps sparking off other ideas. Like, I love, I love the idea of like really hyper stylish, fun, you know, fast paced protest game. Yeah, that's a really good point because it reminded me of like 2000 AD in the way that 2000 AD just takes modern uh, trends and people and just puts them into their comics. Yeah. And in a, a quite a light-hearted and easygoing way and uh, DMC absolutely did that. It was in that tradition of just, you know, you fight your way through a Fox News channel. Yeah. Like it, it just That is one of the best it, bits of... Which is amazing. Yeah, like the, the moment when you dive off the bridge because there's that broadcast tower for what is essentially Fox News, demon Fox News. And you hit the water and, and under the water is the inverted reality where the Fox oh, yeah, News tower is actually the kind of like the hell, the hell yeah, mirror yeah, of it. Like there's that. so many great little visual ticks in that game. And it, obviously it's heavy handed, but it is heavy handed in the way that 2000 AD is heavy handed. And it's not afraid of going all the way to yeah. reality with those comparisons. Like you fight big demon Bill O'Reilly and mm. there's no, there's no doubt that that's what the influence is. Like that, that is a good game to replay now. Like that is, yeah. that is a, Again, things you wouldn't expect it to have been prescient. Um, <laughs> DMC. It's the sort of stuff that video games are so scared of doing normally. Like, mm. actually showing things that vaguely represent reality, like modern politics in any way. Especially in such a, like, it's kind of, a lot of it's kind of adolescent and, and dumb, but that's totally Devil May Cry, like, isn't it? It's, it's the kind of teenage rebellion of being yeah. a guy with uh, a slightly shit hair and a long coat. In the sword that literally called rebellion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> indeed uh yeah really really great game and it's a shame that it it didn't seem to do very well for such petty reasons yeah yeah i actually totally agree with that mm. i i'm gonna say tribes but for the same reason i always say tribes nice because it's the you know one of the best kind of gamiest concepts for a shooter ever but it was just not popular enough to survive right tom <laughs> sorry uh, my chair is <laughs> pressing against some sort of ancient grave that appears to be opening. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might be host. slightly <laughs> caressing the box. Ah, the, the box that Pip nearly fell into. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> that's causing problems in successive episodes and I'll yeah. have to get rid of it. But yes, so there's like, um, I would pick tribes just because that's, <laughs> stay completely still. Yeah. I'd say tribes just because it's, um, uh, like, it makes complete sense that it wasn't a financial success and it's basically never been a financial success. But I want to live in the universe where people are like, yeah, I want to play a hyper-technical game about frisbees and skiing. <laughs> I think it's probably sold all right, but um, I was going to suggest um, SteamWorld Heist. Mm. It's a newish game, but mm. it's a really, really nice um, 2D side-on um, uh, tactics game, turn-based tactics game with kind of real-time aiming and that kind of thing but um but you're taking turns against things it's really nice style beautifully made kind of first came out on 3ds but actually on pc it's like it feels native to it as well it's mm. a lovely game a lovely lovely game really really sort of lots of attention to detail generosity smart interesting nice lovely 
Good. Uh, Kubetsky writes, will LAN parties ever return? They never went away. Return? return? They were always here. <coughs> I I mean, like maybe, the... maybe there's lots of the little, the little ones. You don't get all the little ones. Don't you? No. Mm. And there's less, um, you know, when I was a teenager, I worked in an internet cafe with a, like a LAN bunker that I ran. And that was a thing of, that feels like a thing of the past now. Like you wouldn't pay a couple of quid for the afternoon to play Counter-Strike with your mates. You would just play it on yeah. on Steam. But, um, but you know, Insomnia is still a thing. Social gathering thing is like mm. that element of it still yeah. very much exists. Insomnia still exists and, um, uh, Dreamhack still exists. I think possibly the bigger, um, the bigger thing here is whether or not games have land support. Yeah. That certainly eats mm. into what you can do in terms mm. of. So like Overwatch, does that have? No. That? And actually, so that came up today because, um, we asked our community on, on the PC gamer discord, uh, to help us come up with some questions for a Q&A with the Overwatch developers. And somebody asked for, um, you know, for land support. And there was a double take because they had typed in all lowercase and we couldn't figure out why they required Ian support. <laughs> <laughs> like, did the game not, not natively support Ian's? Did they feel like there wasn't a character called Ian and therefore no one... There aren't enough game fences. characters called Ian overall. Titanfall 2 gets very close. It has a titan called Ion that I always see as Ian and think of as Ian. So there's that. You've got, you know, that that's probably your best choice for an Ion an Ian party. Um But no, it doesn't have land support. So that that, that is that is I suppose the thing. Presumably like, they do they must do they must have a like a land version that they can take to Dreamhack for or for Yeah, they they must for, do unless they use their servers. Yeah. Which could be the case. I don't know, like you know that that is i think that's yeah. a legit concern but you know when the when broadband is so ubiquitous and the services for these games are pretty much re- reliable there's less draw to be like hey everyone come logo your pcs around my house we'll play games all weekend right hmm. yeah i've not done it since leopard dead one about 15 years ago <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it has just died out as it i just think the voice communication is on a headset and just uh general just kind of communication tools within games have become so much better that yeah. you can replicate yeah. a lot of that stuff just through normal online gaming now yeah which is great mm. but yeah they're still around I, I i guess actually that that presumes you're in the uk or sweden where these things happen i don't That's know true. about i, I think no, um, does QuakeCon have a big land component they do yes yes they say it. yeah mm. so there's that so there are there are things i mean yeah but they're just not necessary anymore i guess for the smaller purposes that they used to be mm. used for. Next up, Jay writes, Greetings, Harpocrates and Cronus. Now that you're starting the Patreon up again, Fruity Semicolon, have you considered providing your adoring listeners with the opportunity to vote on or posit suggestions with respect to the types of additional content we would like to see through the Crate and Crowbar? Question mark. Personally, I would patron £10 a week for the next 40 years. If you find folk could commit to a Dark Souls 3 playthrough in a similar vein to those you did for Dark Souls 1 and 2, please, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up the excellent discussion and comedy, Jay. Thank you very much. Um, so, once I answer this, we're not going to confirm anything because we've learned our lesson. There are plans. We've made some plans. We've got some ideas. We think so like we do. Um, so, we have... But put it that way, we have our ideas for what we would like to do, which are based on things that we're interested in and so on. Um, 
I'm totally up for people like the, the Patreon questions channel on our discord, which you'll find a link to in the show notes and, and on the website um, is a good place to say the kinds of things you would like to see us do with spinoffs because we are conscious that, you know, we have this audience that came here for PC gaming, hot takes and dick jokes, which will always be there. Yeah, which will always be there. Then that's not going to change, but then, you know, spinning off is necessarily going to divide that. Not everyone's going to be interested in the miniatures wargaming stuff that me and Tom are going to be talking about, um, or even the next thing we do or whatever. So if people are interested in particular stuff, it'd be really interesting to know that, <clears throat> but I think I speak for everybody, but I think that our, we'll primarily be led by the things that we are enthusiastic about rather than doing specific things on, on demand. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to hear kind of formats that people like. So if I mean, you can get in touch with us via Twitter and Discord, by email, which we'll read out at the end of the podcast. And anything we read, all of it, like it, it all goes into the the mind space. Yeah, the the, the, the brain tank, the brain tank, the dream chamber. Uh, and <laughs> it's really fun to hear the hot nozzle. <laughs> people uh, kind of give us guidance on where they what they'd like to see us do. Yeah, but it's always like we're not going to do something unless we're passionate about it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. That's but, indeed. Um, yeah, no, we'd love to hear what you think. Um, so, I mean, I could say that like th- things we are thinking about are not in, in, in any <laughs> huge specifics, but like um, possibly some new video stuff. Probably something I would really like to do is some like live play pen and paper role playing things. I'm happy saying that in a vague sense because we don't have a time scale for it yet. Hmm. But it's that kind of thing. It's it's more about um, you know fun stuff to listen to and watch that is sort of orbits the periphery of 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 the games that we're talking about on the main podcast however if there are specific games that people are interested in hearing spin-offs for and things then that's absolutely something like if we have that you know impetus to to do it because that that is kind of the key right for Mm -hmm. us is that um this is done very off the cuff i don't know if that has shown over the last three or four years yeah (laughs) the last 174 of these but you know like the reason the Dishonored thing kind of really clicked when it did is because, like, if you put me and Tom Francis in a room at that time in our lives, mm. we would just talk about Dishonored 2 forever. And then we recorded a three and a half hour podcast with no break because <laughs> all we did was just happen to press record. And that, you know, that c- comes very naturally. And we're kind of, I guess, willing to, to take suggestions and kind of spin off and see if we can do stuff. But I think just for the sake of everyone's sanity, it needs to be something that it can never feel like we're just doing it because we have to kind of really be excited about the idea i'll say this is also stuff that pay, uh, the patreon stuff allows us to do like yeah. you know you never the, the crank robot's not going to change you're going to get the crank crowbar as it has been um since we started but hopefully better hopefully yeah hopefully better with, you know alex thank you for improving the on the level of bants that we've i bring the bants you bring it the bants yeah. um but, ledge. Uh, but yeah um the patreon allows us to do extra projects and stuff so you know, check that out yeah, yeah. and yeah Long story short, Patreon channel, tell us what you'd like to see and yes. we will do our best to do it in a way that makes sense or in a way that doesn't make sense, which is how we do everything else. So that's that. Mm-hmm. Matt writes, I used to play quite a lot of Minecraft back when it was still thought of as an indie game and not the Microsoft owned Second Life for under 10s it is now. And as such, I'm still on the mailing list and follow the Twitter. My question is... <coughs> Does it weird you guys out as much as it does me to see perky missives such as Mob of the Week being written by former graveyard dweller and artisan penis renderer Marsh Davies? All the best, Matt. An excellent <laughs> question that went sideways halfway. 
It's a very accurate um, description of Marsh. <laughs> it it's one of, I mean, I've read a lot of accurate descriptions of Marsh, and that's <laughs> up there. Um, Alex, you've got... Hey, I've got some dirty secrets. You do. <laughs> but, you, been, you know, you're, you're a Minecraft contentman. Yeah, I've been writing on that website as well. Mm. And I've been in the Twitter thing. You did a book. They made me a... They made a, a so, Marsh and, um, and his boss, Owen, um, they used to live together here as well yeah. in Bath. Um, uh, they went to university together, but, um, uh, they've got little block, little caricatures of themselves on their website and, uh, they made one for me because I did some writing for them. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. That was good fun. They're nice. It's mm. nice. And I wrote a book about Minecraft as well. You did, yeah. <laughs> but Minecraft. And yeah, you know, it's, I don't think it's necessarily, it's not necessarily weird, um, because, you know, he's a professional, doesn't have to draw a dick on everything. That's his private life. He does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think, but yeah, but he has drawn a dick on everything he's ever drawn. Yeah. It's there to be found. <laughs> I think that's, you, you're worried about libel at the beginning of this, <laughs> at the beginning of this podcast. I think maybe we need to. That, is, that was untrue. That is untrue. I think, that I think Marsh, satirical. I think Marsh knows when a dick is right and when it's wrong. And yeah. It's taken him 25 years to get to that. Yeah. In, at least. Um, but no, I think we can trust there aren't any hidden dicks in that, in that Minecraft stuff. And, you know, Marsh is capable of, of wholesome. Ah, don't come, I can't back that up. Um, <laughs> it is surprising. Yeah, you, you're completely right. I've looked at the wrong thing. Michael. 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 Michael writes, hello, podders. Since we're inevitably heading towards the collapse of modern fucking society as we know it, what are your favorite games that accurately reflect a dystopian society that are not called Fallout? Thanks for the pod. Sincerely, the one American named Michael in Discord. Yes, silly. Um, I was thinking Homefront a bit here. Homefront? Homefront 2, specifically. Really? A little bit. Why? Because it's kind of gritty philadelphia so it's kind of rains a lot mm. uh, frame rate it's a bit dodgy so happens um, in the post-apocalypse and, so, yeah, uh, it's the forget the bible it's the great precursor of the end of days and you're rushing about on the streets and then stuttering and rubber banding happens yeah. and he's like <laughs> yeah, we're all fucked this is it this is the end <laughs> as we said earlier you know when the rubber banding hits <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're gonna feel it <laughs> I, I was going to go with um, with Command and Conquer 2 Yuri's Revenge oh, wow quite, I hope we get that apocalypse because there are hadn't invented war dolphins by that point right? <laughs> there are there are like yeah. you know because if anything and you know I, you know, I mean we we go political sometimes but whatever like the um, there's for a while you might sort of intone sincerely about the Papers, Please dystopia or any of gaming's more recent evocative representations of, of oppression and, and, and so on. Even something like Inside, um, it's sort of sci-fi element notwithstanding has sort of that atmosphere of, 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 um, oppression around it. However, the, the, the stranger things become and the worst things get, I suspect you can't really count anything out, which is why I'm not counting out the, Psychic militarized dolphin bald. reality, <laughs> or a bald, bald a psychic coming. A, a, honest to God, a plot by a magic psychic 
Russian vizier to subvert the timeline. <laughs> okay. Better off. Yeah. That's, <laughs> could even be better. Well, if, if, if that's a Washington Post headline by this time next year, then we should uh, definitely promote ourselves as, you know, uh, yeah. oracles. Exactly. But, you know, nothing's off the table now, so why not? I think, uh, weirdly, the most convincing um, post-apocalypses I've encountered in films rather than games is like Children of Men, mm. where it's just very familiar architecture, just um, tweaked in ways that would make sense for a, you know, dystopian society. Whereas what you see in a kind of dystopia is a very, in, in games, it's very kind of uh, from the ground up invented dystopia, where it's like, you know, this has always existed as a dystopic, you know, dictatorship society. So... Like the, it's, it's stuff like Midgar, where in Final Fantasy VII, where there's you know, oh, what if the underclass was under a, a giant disc, and all the all the cheerful people lived on top of the disc, and all the all the people who were oppressed lived under the disc, and just this sort of giant, just blatant, um, kind of mm. realization, architectonic of, metaphor, <laughs> exactly. Um, whereas the reality is just something much more, uh, just a slightly warped version of familiar reality. Um, films also like they get to do dystopias that don't need to be solved mm. for the power to come through. Whereas in a game, if you don't get to solve the you know the dystopia just, yeah. to fix it all, then you know you don't get your power trip. Mm. I think you know not. We shouldn't forget Half Life Two here as a a good representation of a dystopia built on top of a believable yeah, world. Point. Yeah. Uh, that isn't resolved as well. Yeah. How did we forget that one? Until I don't know. Be- it's because it's been completely out of the headlines for it's a very good 13 example. years. Um, there's that. There's also, um, there's a lot of like, I'm a big fan of the Metro games. I think they are a kind of very not believable in the sense that it could happen necessarily, but a sort of lived in. Mm dystopia kind of fully realized sense of a different world without what's everyday life like yeah what's what's ever, what is it like to live there stalker as well actually that kind of again you know russian sci-fi has always been really good at placing a few science fiction or supernatural elements in the kind of the 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 gritty reality of everyday life and i think selling it on that basis it's not something games do a lot but i think those those games do actually it'd be interesting coming back to the point about food um it's, it really stands out when games get those little details or, or, or lavish attention on those little details and kind of sell the, um, the, the place through these, these small things. Not to say that Final Fantasy 15 is a, a good example of a realistic dystopia because it clearly isn't. But uh, what, what, what are you talking about? Like, it's got naked dogs. It has got naked dogs. It's got, it's got naked chocobos. That's, what, that, what that's a utopia, Tom. Shit. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, you know, games, like the, maybe the reason games don't have so many kind of like relatable dystopias is because relatively few games, like you say, pay attention to, to life at that, at mm. that level. There's, there's a good, uh, there's a good article came out today on games industry biz that I'll stick in the show notes by Alexis Kennedy, who's one of the founders oh, yeah. of Fail Better, which is about the kind of the weakness of the idea of world building. Um, in this, in, particularly when it comes to the idea of, of making a, a fictional universe from the ground up completely your own. Because you always end up with an analogy of, of some kind or another. Mm. But there's a good point in there, which is, I think, a quotation from Tolkien about how, in the context of a, a fairy story or a fantasy story, um, actually the things that often seem most sort of vibrantly real are things like the food 
and the the kind of the small details of real life, which I think is true if you think about what you actually remember mm. from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, and often the food isn't that different to our food. Just it stands out that this normal thing exists in this yeah. strange place. And it ties your experience to that. Yeah. That yes. Yeah. Whereas games tend to be all heightened actions and heightened things in a heightened reality and therefore maybe the dystopias don't ring quite as as true or if they wouldn't if if real life wasn't doing so much work to mm. catch up that's interesting it's, it's almost like a combination of just everyday habit and architecture like you need some some recognition on both fronts for it to feel like a more relevant dystopia so stalker is incredible because you go into abandoned towns that feel completely realistic like the the brutalist architecture of you know, uh, discarded Soviet structures that mm. have been taken over by demons. Um, but nonetheless, when you see that uh, their kind of forms get to the horizon and move into them, they feel like familiar places because, you know, you see those brutalist echoes throughout Western architecture. Um, and then also, you know, if Stalker had better food, maybe it would be an even <laughs> more convincing. Yeah, uh, I guess when I say food, <laughs> I mean almost like the... Just, just something the small details tangible. of real life, right? Yeah, tangible. Like, yeah, like just a guy playing guitar, around, you know, a campfire, mm. just that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like yes. Um, the game I was going to bring up actually is uh, Cart Life. Yeah. Which, yeah. Um, is, was that sort of simulation of just getting through the day and the days in the life of, are you an immigrant, like a recent immigrant in Cart Life? I can't remember. Well, there are several characters. Yeah, there are. Um, I think that one of them is an immigrant. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, that game is, is several years old now, but. It's probably, you know, it has retained its power. And I think one of the reasons it's retained its power is it's not explicitly set in a dystopia. It's set in the real world. It's set in the real world where you're poor, which, guess what, is a dystopia. That, yeah. That's, you know, and, and it, 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 rather than spin a fiction around you, it simply in, it encourages you to experience some small sense of the pressures of genuine poverty. And that's, that is enough to tell a dystopian story, but in a, in that sense, obviously abstracted because the graphics are very low five, but like completely unfantasized kind of mm. real world. So yeah, that is, that is the polar opposite of Red Alert 2. <laughs> <laughs> We've been on a grand journey. Yeah, exactly. Like the difficulty is as well, that if you're creating entertainment products that are supposed to be perhaps in some way escapist, then putting someone into an even worse version of the future they recognize is not necessarily a great way to do it. Or at least giving them no power. Because yeah. with, with, with Cart Life, I mean, I I couldn't play very much of... Well, no. I did play quite a lot of it, but I didn't enjoy it. You're not meant to be too. Or, mm. or at least, yeah, not necessarily. And it's, it's a very powerful and I think a really good game, but it's I didn't want to play it. No, indeed. And like... Yeah, I mean, to, to dial back to, like, a conversation we had right at the start of this episode, like, whatever, you know, in addition to maybe seeing some of the ways the world is changing reflected in games and hopefully not seeing the worst attitudes of that reflected in games, it'll also be interesting to see if games shift the nature of the escapist fantasies they offer in response to the ways in which the world is changing. Yeah, because that's interesting. There are, there, you know, games have for a long time been about, you know, uh overcoming injustice or revenging yourself against injustice and putting the world back the way it should be and all these things that are kind of very common themes of any kind of adventure fantasy fiction um but are escapist in their kind of present form and not just because they are um 
sort of fables, but because they explicitly like raise the stakes in the way that real world stakes, at least in, in our slice of the world, have never really <laughs> seemed. Whereas it feels like the shock of the world at the moment is people coming to terms with the fact that things can get quite as bad as they are, mm. if that makes sense. If the, the, the can actually, you know, the, the, the false sense of security being shattered and the realization that real change is necessary and, and real action is warranted is a strange thing. So it'll be interesting to see if games shape the fantasies they have, because it felt like it's happening in other media, right? Like, a, even games did. I mean, you know, around, um, they, they have managed to like around 9-11 and everything that came afterwards. You've got all these sort of fantasies about attacks on American mainland. That's true, you've yeah. got, uh, you've got more thoughtful responses on what it means to, you know, uh, use serious uh, fight power on. I can't think of examples now, but like spec ops yeah. the line, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. think those are all expressions of what happened there. Be surprised if it doesn't get get this. I mean, even in you know in the in the eighties, a lot of games, comics particularly, you know, media like that um, expressed what it was to live in Thatcher's Britain as a young person. Mm. You know. Mm. So I think. Yeah, inevitably it will. It will, I suppose. It'll be interesting to see what form that takes because yeah. in some ways that, you know, the fantasies that we've been living out for a long time. But I guess maybe those, those stories have greater resonance. Now I think about this because I, I went to see, um, Rogue One again for the, for the third time. That shouldn't surprise anybody, but I, I admire that film more the more I've seen it. And I think it also stands out as, I'm not going to spoil anything about it, but it stands out as, um, a strange, like not a strange thing to exist, but a very pointed thing to exist at this point in time. The the sort of mm. the 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 form that Star Wars, this is the biggest entertainment thing in the planet, has chosen to temporarily adopt is this story about how difficult, meaningful resistance to kind of fascist power is, and what sacrifices it demands, and and the people that it places the most pressure on are often also the most vulnerable people. And even though it's an adventure with all those themes are in there. And the notion, you know, and the sort of the diversity of people that it puts in front of you as representative of humanity as opposed to this sort of kind of totalitarian the other, idea of the other way. It's, it's, you know, Star Wars has never been pointed or prescient or anything. And so to see it sort of adopt that shape is kind of interesting, particularly at this point in history when it mm. couldn't have been planned for. Mm. So it'd be interesting to see what happens after that when this generation of creative people who are feel furious and powerless now start to make stuff make stuff hmm 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 that was a good question it was a good question i guess the most realistic dystopia <laughs> is, is our own is this one <laughs> and that is all of the dystopia we've got time for it's been a good dystopia though has it oh, i've loved it every minute <laughs> more dystopia please don't say that why is it wine and chats oh so okay yeah no if that yeah i suppose that is what it means for us um <laughs> um if you'd like to send us a question for a future episode you can do so by emailing us at questions at creightoncrowbar.com you can also tweet us at creightoncrowbar and hang out with our community on discord the link is in the top bar of the website creightoncrowbar.com creightoncrowbar is supported by patreon if you'd like to find out more about uh what 
you could contribute to and, and, and how it all works and, and et cetera, et cetera. You can find out more at patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar. If you'd like to follow us as individuals on Twitter, I am at C Thurston. That's C T H U R S T E N. Tom is at PCG Ludo, which is an idiot. And Alex rotational. Like you rotationing. Rotatoring. Al. Nice. <laughs> Rotating Al. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's rot- sorry. I've ruined that for you. And I'm no, sorry. I think that's memorable now. Okay. But also spelt wrong. <laughs> there's a guy out there called rotating owl that is going to get some it's great get oh, he, he loves it uh but no it's in the show notes anyway thanks, thanks for listening everybody goodbye, goodbye. <laughs> ruined it, alex oh you didn't really <laughs>